Good morning and welcome to this Euractiv online event, which is kindly supported by Iberdrola, the Spanish electricity company. My name is Frédéric Simon, I'm the energy and environment editor of Euractiv, and I will be your host for today's event, which is titled How to Deliver Ambitious Climate Targets While Protecting Consumers. Today's discussion on climate policy and consumers comes in the midst of a global energy crunch, a situation which is causing concern, especially in the east of the European Union, where questions have been raised about the impact of EU climate policies on energy prices. So what do we know about the interaction between climate policy and energy prices from a consumer perspective? And can the Fit for 55 package uh, provide an answer to the energy price crunch in the short or the long run. To discuss this topic today, I have the pleasure of welcoming Nicolas González Casares, a Spanish lawmaker with the Socialist and Democrats group in the European Parliament, Adela Tessarova, Head of Unit for Consumers, Local Initiatives and the Just Transition at the European Commission's Energy Directorate, Jaume Lofredo, Energy Policy Officer at BEOC, the European Consumer Organization. Elisabetta Cornago, Research Fellow at the Center for European Reform in London. And Julio Castro, Chief Executive Officer at Iberdrola Renewable Energies. Welcome to all of you and thanks for joining us today. We'll start this virtual conference with a series of short opening statements from the speakers and then we'll turn to a Q&A session that will also include questions from the audience. To ask a question, simply use the chat function on the right-hand side of your screen and we will take questions directly from there. I think that's all for me, so without further ado, let me give the floor now to Nicolas González Casares. Nicolas, the floor is let yours. Let me switch on the microphone. Yes, now you can mute yourself, we can hear you. Go ahead. Perfect, perfect. Good morning, good morning, and thank you. Thank you for inviting me to this event. I, I think the, the title of this event is very pertinent because protected citizens is the objectives of the war we are carrying out with the implementation of the E-Green Deal and with the Fit for 55 package, protect ourselves from climate change. After the great lockdown, we have established a sustainable green recovery and the Fit for 55 package shows a path to achieve our climate goals. We, we have recently the COP26 and the outcomes of the COP26 this weekend, and we can see how difficult it is to move forward internationally in the fight against climate change. However, it is necessary to move from promises to action. In our case, we should focus on implementing the package in an ambitious and equitable way with a social dimension, of course. Along with energy efficiency, decarbonizing the energy system through sustainable renewable energies, I think is essential. Regarding the European Union, we have some positive signals related with the deployment of renewables as the 
State of the Energy Union 2021 highlights renewables overtook fossil fuels in the power electrical system in the EU for the first time this year. But I think that we now have a problem with the prices. The electric sector is one of the easiest sectors to decarbonize and integrate renewables. We can cost effectively decarbonize sectors as transport industry and buildings through electrification based on renewable energies and promote other energy carriers such as green hydrogen. For electrification to be successful, electricity must be competitive. However, the current wholesale markets that we see these weeks are not helping to promote the necessary electrification. We must take electricity market more efficiency. Yesterday, Acer has published its preliminary assessment of the current wholesale electricity market design and might is open to recommending changes. As co-rapporteur of the Renewable Energy Directive, I believe that the Commission has presented a good proposal with measures that strengthen promotion in sectors with more difficulties for the presentation of renewables. But it is essential that during this legislative process to maintain the integrity of the directive, it should only promote truly sustainable renewable energy. It's not only about climate neutrality. Today, energy imports in the European Union represent 61%. This will make us reflect on the vulnerability we have and explains a big part of the current energy prices crisis. To finalize, if properly framed from the onset, the transformative path towards a climate neutrality society can be the beacon of social progress for all, individually and collectively. Ecological and social progress can and should go hand in hand. The transition towards a climate neutral economy and society will be just or there will be no transition at all. Thank you. Thanks, Nicolas Gonzalez Casares. Let me turn now to Adela Tesarova from the European Commission. Good morning, um, and thank you for, for the invitation. Um, so as you know, the Fit for 55 package is all about uh, energy efficiency and deploying renewable energies. Uh, but it is also about putting the consumer at the center. And uh, we have a lot of proposals that have been tabled in July and they'll be tabled before the end of the year doing precisely this. And um, there are three things I would like to highlight. First, the package is empowering consumers further so that they demand green energy and they even supply green energy. We are looking, for example, at um, how energy communities could decarbonize the building stock. Um, Second, or how we can increase the availability of green offers and, um, and access to co of consumers to green offers. Second, the package is protecting consumers further. Uh, for example, uh, the, the current uh, protection rights that exist for electricity, the package is expanding them for district heating. Uh, then we are looking at protection of energy poor and vulnerable consumers across all energy legislation. For example, the decarbonization of gas proposals of December uh, will look into that. Um, and third, 
and not leaving anyone behind. A very important element of the Fit for 55 package. For example, the energy efficiency directive is looking at energy savings, how to prioritize energy savings among energy poor. Uh, the commission proposed the social climate fund to channel funding to eradicate energy poverty in, in member states. Uh, but of course, um, the Fit for 55 package is about structural uh, medium to long term measures. But we live in a world where we still consume fossil fuels. We live in a world where consumers are not very active in practice. And hence, we are all in a bit of a state of shock with the current high energy prices. That's why the Commission, on top of uh, the Fit for 55, came with a toolbox. How to deal with the current situation in a short term and how to deal with it in the medium to long term. And it's the reality that um, many consumers are for the first time looking at their invoices and they are for the first time asking themselves what I can do uh, to reuse my energy bill. And uh, I hope that um, while this is a shock for many of us, this is also an opportunity for many of us. And it's an opportunity to, uh, to become active consumers and to actually use and, and demand um, the provisions that we have in the legislation and that um, are being implemented, will be implemented and are only being proposed in some cases um, to make sure that the consumer can actually be um, kind of the owner of their own destiny and choose, uh, you know, among green offers and, and actually um, yeah, have the possibility to switch away from fossil fuels and, and, and choose a supplier which offers better prices and, and, and so on. Thank you very much. Thanks, Adela Tesarova. Uh, let me turn now to Raume Lofredo from Beuk. Raume. Yeah, thanks, uh, uh, Frederic, also for the invitation. Well, if we look at, uh, at the numbers, it is clear that the reason of this crisis was uh, an increase in gas prices. And, uh, well, having this in mind, um, what we're doing with the energy transition, and more in particular with uh, Fit for 55, but also with other climate and energy policy proposals, goes into the right direction. We are um, reducing our reliance on gas. In this way, we are protecting consumers from uh, this volatility of gas prices. And we're doing this in four ways. We are reducing energy demand, thanks to energy efficiency in the Energy, energy Efficiency Directive. We are shifting uh, away from gas in heating, uh, shifting to, uh, to clean heating appliances, uh, thanks to the Renewable Energy Directive. We are promoting a shift away from gas in uh, power generation to uh, clean power generation in the Renewable Energy Directive. And we are promoting demand side flexibility that will allow us to rely less on uh, gas picking, uh, picking plants. Um, so, I mean, like, you know, in paper, we are doing the right things. But if we look at what is happening on the markets, the, you know, the picture is a little bit more mixed because many consumers still cannot improve the energy efficiency of, of their homes because they don't have access to trusted advisors who can advise them on what solutions are best for them. Many consumers still cannot install a heat pump, for example, in their home because they cannot find an installer who can uh, install such a heat pump. Many consumers still cannot install rooftop uh, solar panels because there are important administrative barriers preventing them to do so. And many consumers still cannot engage in demand set flexibility because uh, they don't receive the appropriate uh, finan uh, financial incentives. So, all in all, what we need to protect consumers from these uh, uh, high, uh, from this volatility in gas uh, uh, prices is uh, really to put the consumer at the center of the energy transition. 
and we've been hearing this sentence for, for a decade now. And although some progress, well, much progress has been done, uh, it, you know, this progress in, in some areas has been quite limited. And it is really time now to walk the talk and really put the consumer at the center of the energy transition. And we need basically two things. The first thing is implementing the clean energy package. Uh, member states need to lift those administrative barriers, not preventing consumers to install rooftop solar on the rooftops. And member states need to implement the measures in the electricity directive uh, that uh, uh, allow consumers to engage in uh, demand side flexibility through dynamic electricity price contracts or through aggregation contracts. Second thing that needs to be done is uh, uh, really giving consumers access to uh, trusted advisors and trusted installers of energy efficiency and of uh, renewable heating and cooling appliances. Uh, the Renewable Energy Directive and the Energy Efficiency Directive, as they were proposed, they go into the right direction because uh, there are some measures that would empower consumers to have access to, uh, to such professionals. But clearly, these measures need to be maintained and strengthened, and they need to be uh, properly implemented by, um, by member states afterwards. So uh, all in all, what uh, consumers need is uh, really to uh, put forward legislation that is fit for the consumer, that allows the consumer to be uh, an actor, uh, an active actor in the, in the energy transition. If we don't do so, then our reliance on gas will not reduce, which means that consumers will still be exposed to volatility in gas prices, and especially this package will not be fit for 55. Thanks, Jaume Lofredo. And let me turn down to Elisabetta Cornago from uh, the Center for European Reform. Thank you. Um, so I think we can see that while the Fit for 55 package does include a range of policy instruments, regulations, goals, I think it's fair to say that the centerpiece of the package is carbon pricing through the tightening of the existing ETS and through the creation of an additional one that would cover all transport and uh, building heating. So how to make that work while protecting consumers? I think there are two keys to this, uh, and both I think are particularly important and critical, in fact, at the time of spiking energy prices that we are uh, experiencing. So um, the first one is redistribution of ETS revenues in a, in a progressive manner. And the second is uh, front loading or low carbon investment, so to reduce consumer reliance on fossil fuels for both heating and mobility. So in terms of uh, redistribution, the new ETS on uh, heating and transport will de facto increase the cost of, of both activities. And this would make a, pro a proportionally larger dent, right, on, on budgets of lower income households. Um, at the same time, increasing carbon prices on the current existing ETS have already boosted revenues from it. And the coverage uh, of, uh, as, as the coverage of ETS expands, uh, carbon prices are increasing to, to reflect the ambitious climate goals, revenues as a whole are increasing, and this should be used already starting today to uh, more progressively distribute the, 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 the benefits of uh, the reflection of, of carbon prices towards uh, consumers, and, and particularly with attention to poorest households. This is partly the aim of the proposed Climate Social Fund, um, but devoting only 25% of the new ETS revenues uh, to the protection of vulnerable consumers, to the promotion of energy efficient retrofits, for instance, that would amount to about 10 billion per year, is unlikely to be sufficient, both for income support and investment support. The second aspect I mentioned that is necessary to, to protect consumers in the context of Fit for 55 changes is the front loading of low carbon investments. We shouldn't wait for the new ETS to kick in 
to start boosting investment in energy efficient retrofits and to start promoting the electrification of transport and the shift towards soft mobility options. Um, in fact, we should accelerate that investment uh, so to make a dent in fossil fuel dependence of buildings and road transport. Um, the plans that member states have, have presented in the context of the recovery fund do go in that direction. Uh, but at the same time, uh, we have seen in a recent paper published by the CR that funds under the, the recovery plans will be about 45 billion a year towards climate action. And that is only a fraction of the approximately 460 billion a year in public investment that are necessary to meet 2030 emission goals. So to conclude, I think it's important to use ETS revenues for redistribution purposes and uh, accelerate low carbon investment, front loading it in order to make sure that by the time new measures from the FIFA 55 package kick in, most importantly, the new ETS, consumers will be already empowered and will have low carbon alternative means to the current fossil fuel ones, heating and road transport. Thank you. Thanks, Elisabetta Cornago. And let me turn now to our final speakers for the uh, initial round. And that is uh, Julio Castro from Iberdrola. Good morning, everybody. Thank you, Federic, for your invitation <coughs> to be in this event. Sorry for my voice, uh, but I'm in a little bit of a cough with the cold uh, weather uh, that we are having in Spain in these days. I will try my best. Let me, first of all, <coughs> talk about uh, who is Iberdrola. That will take me a second. Uh, you were presenting us as a company uh, based in Spain, that's true, but we have activity in electricity all across the European Union and also in the United Kingdom. Uh, we are leader in uh, onshore and offshore wind, also in solar PV and hydro. We are now building the largest facility in the Iberian Peninsula in Portugal, so-called Tamega project. And we rely on the natural gas as a backup as it has to be as the best choice in terms of emissions and, uh, and non-polluting technologies. Namely, I'm talking about huge investments, billions of uh, euros that are uh, conveyed to technology and to the best supply of customers. This is our belief and this is our business plan. But uh, since about uh, two or three months ago, we have seen two different topics that have been a little bit uh, confused. First, is uh, expensive bills to customers, that's a reality, and we need to tackle on those and know exactly what happens. Uh, namely, natural gas prices uh, drive uh, wholesale prices up. Also, uh, carbon prices collaborate less than natural gas prices. And with the design that we have on the, on, the, on the different markets where we are seeing that the outcome might be for those being exposed to the daily market, that the, the bills are huge. Okay, that's a fact. Let, don't forget about that. But there's a second uh, trend in, in the electricity world in Europe these days, which is a loss of confidence in the energy transition, namely in renewables, because we have uh, this tool, this technological tool, as the one uh, to clean and to avoid emissions. Well, by confusing these two, um, well, we as a company, we as a huge investor in these, uh, in these technologies, we are concerned, very concerned. Uh, in the middle of uh, September, we saw a decree in Spain that was a draft and, and then implement, an, an implement, implemented decree as well, on which uh, the purpose of the piece of law, the regulation was to lower the bills. So first topic, we fully agree 
with the bills to be controlled and with this uh, crisis to be uh, under screen. But the way of doing this in Spain was coming to the companies and saying that we were too greedy because we were having a huge income and taking part of it. Using figures that are very, uh, let's say, uh, cynical uh, in order to describe the problem, if the market, the daily market, it's uh, quoting at around 200 euros per megawatt hour, there was a tax imposed on the, on the, on the sales of something around 100, a little bit more than 100, 110, related with the gas prices. So uh, you will not be so greedy and your margins are uh, lowering. Well, if that's the case, maybe that's uh, fair enough. But given that the sales of electricity are done uh, on, on a term basis, with two years uh, in advance, one and a half or one year in advance, we were absolutely cost in terms, uh, in terms of uh, position. We were selling and we are selling in the range of uh, 60 to 70 euro per megawatt hour to our customers. And we were attending to a law uh, implemented, a real law being applied from the 16th of September, according to which we had to pay uh, 110 and the income was 60. So we were losing directly 50 euro per megawatt hour. No matter what university you go across Europe, doesn't matter which is the school of business that you go to get your master's degree, but losing 50 euro per megawatt hour means that in the next second, you have to stop producing because you are not designed to lose money of your shareholders. Fortunately enough, uh, across the, the following weeks to that degree being implemented, there was a strong um, answer from the industry and uh, quite a welcoming environment from the government, uh, listening and attending to the reality of the sales to customers in the market. And finally, there was another decree solving the solution according to which only those getting that income from the high market would be paying the tax. The, now, the reality is that that is not affecting our accounts, our PNL, and the worries and the, the, let's say the, the concern are now looking to those that you are describing, the first speakers be, be, before me, uh, just helping the customers not to suffer in order to have a competitive uh, supply and those being very vulnerable uh, to have the correct price in order for them to, to have a heating and, and, and the lights on. So today, after this, uh, let's say, one month and a half of huge concern, the situation is uh, somehow on, on, on the peaceful side and the real objective and target in Spain is to correct the design of the regulated tariff that is directly linked to the spot market. Something with, that we think that is not uh, correct given that you will take uh, the comfort from low prices whenever they happen in the future, but with such a situation like today's uh, one, well, it's a, a kind of a, a disaster to transfer the spot uh, wholesale prices to the most vulnerable uh, customers. So I think that there's a, a huge concern, there's a lot of learning exercise across the period, and now the focus is absolutely correct. So for, for the next uh, coming um, points that we will open across the debate as a company, we are uh, concerned about the, the, the paradigm of, of, of Europe of uh, entering into the most cleaning um, uh, technologies in, in order to have the less emissions and to have the, 
the most competitive prices. That, that, that's a, a, a very fair objective for the future, but in the first uh, exercise of having uh, these prices, it looked like uh, our um, belief was vanished all of a sudden. Well, uh, we saw the toolbox coming from the European Commission with a lot of comfort and belief that the current uh, regulations and policies are correct and what we need to, to, to implement are uh, policies to take care of these uh, high electricity bills coming from uh, expensive gas prices. So please, let's have two different approaches for two different problems and two different solutions. Thank you. Thanks, Julio Castro. And so we can start now the, uh, the Q&A session. And uh, let me start maybe with a question to Raume uh, Lofredo about uh, the, the situation on the ground uh, for the moment with the consumer organizations. So Raume, uh, prices on energy markets have receded somewhat um, in, the, uh, in the past weeks. And many governments have adopted short-term measures to alleviate the pressure uh, on consumers. So what is the current feeling among consumer groups uh, in the European Union? Are they reassured by the measures that have been taken um, uh, in their countries? Thanks, Frederick. Um, well, first, uh, uh, let me say that, I mean, let me start with the obvious. Uh, prices going up meant very high bills for consumers, meant that uh, thousands of consumers were reaching out to, to consumer organizations uh, who were uh, you know very concerned about uh, uh, these high bills i mean in many cases they were not really able to to pay for these bills and uh, uh, in this context i mean it was fundamental to to give uh, uh, to give an answer to those consumers uh, um, and we are very happy that uh, the european commission with the toolbox took the responsibility to uh, to give consumers uh, uh, these answers and uh, um, basically draft the toolbox that contains very good measures. A uh, couple of things that we very much welcomed was, uh, uh, first of all, like, you know, clarifying that, that uh, member states can, uh, can reduce the level of taxation, can reduce, uh, uh, like, you know, both of the excise duty and of the VAT. And we're happy that some countries like Spain, for example, uh, introduced a, uh, a low VAT rate for uh, for uh, the energy supply. Um, we were also happy to see that uh, um, the, the, the Commission um, basically recommended member states to, uh, well, to tap into the, the additional VAT and uh, ETS revenues to give some payments to, to consumers. And this is what, for example, uh, France did, giving consumers a lump sum payment uh, to, uh, you know, to, to help alleviate uh, these, uh, uh, well, the impact of these increase in prices. Um, so, uh, I mean, like, you know, all in all, I mean, some countries uh, responded better than others, but I mean, like, you know, those countries which uh, uh, really uh, responded to, to these consumers' requests, I mean, like, you know, actually uh, did, uh, did a, a pretty good job. Um, one thing that uh, uh, was not mentioned in the toolbox, but we, we hope that it will, in the, it will be mentioned in the gas package, uh, is uh, uh, in, introducing a bundle of connections. Uh, consumers, when they receive a high bill, a bill that they cannot uh, they cannot pay, they are uh, concerned that they might see their energy supply interrupted, which, especially during the winter, might be uh, very dangerous for their health. Um, what uh, we hope to see in uh, uh, well, 
at right now, I mean, like immediately from member states, but uh, uh, in the coming uh, in the coming month from from the European Commission is introducing such a ban on disconnection, especially for vulnerable consumers. Thanks, Jaime Lofredo. And so um, I understand you're pretty satisfied then with the uh, European Commission's proposed uh, toolbox. So uh, let me turn now to Nicolas Gonzalez Casares. What is your assessment of uh, the toolbox that the, that the uh, European Commission put uh, on the table now um, a few weeks from now? Do you believe this is the right answer uh, to the energy price crunch that we're seeing uh, in the past uh, months? I think the, the, the toolbox is, is welcome. We need uh, some answer from the Commission to address this soaring of the energy and electricity prices. But I think that is not enough because there are some measures that are not in the in this in this toolbox. I think that the commission should be more ambitious. I want to read carefully the the new dossier, the new the new report, uh, assessment report from Acer that they are saying that some things should be reviewed, but they are also saying that we have to wait until the spring. But I think that uh, not only the measures could be, or the strongest measures could be only at uh, member states level, because yes, some countries are reducing taxes, of course, uh, like uh, VAT or, uh, for example, in Spain, the, the tax for generation of electricity, but I think that all these measures are not in the hand only of the governments. We need all the other measures from the Commission. Uh, all of us, we know that we have two prices, two different prices by now. In one hand, we have fossil fuels at top of the prices. In this case, the gas prices are the most problematic at this moment. On the other hand, we have the production or not emitters uh, energy uh, like uh, renewables or even nuclear. So I think that we have to keep in mind that we have these two levels. I'm not saying that I am against the marginalist market. Of course, I'm not. But we have to, to search for new measures for the future, because I think that these two levels are going to be here for a long time. Probably gas prices uh, get down when when the spring or in the in the coming months. But I don't I don't see the, the these these fossil fuel prices returning to the level that there was before this this crisis. And also we can see that in in today, for example how the CO2 prices are, are getting higher and higher, probably because the, the outcomes of the, of the COP, that in, in, in certain way, this is a, a good news. But of course, uh, with very, very, very high CO2 prices, we can also have a problem with consumers that we have to involve and engage all consumers in this ecological transition. I think this it's a theme that we should keep in mind. 
Thank you, Nicola Casares. And so let me turn now to Elisabetta Cornago. Uh, a question to you similar to um, well, the question I put to the other uh, speakers. Do you believe the Commission's toolbox is the right answer in the current context? Or do you believe, like Nicolas Casares, that there are shortcomings that need to be addressed as well? I think, broadly speaking, the the toolbox did, did put forward you know, meaningful suggestions. And in fact, I think it, to a large extent, also validated measures that uh, various member, member state governments had already taken right in the emergency situations to help out their, their consumers. They did not really wait for the toolbox to uh, put a limit on, on or artificially limit the, the, the energy taxes or the VAT taxes on energy or to implement transfers. Now, I think what, what is worth saying is that these two types of measures have the same purpose. So protecting consumers from a uh, very high spike in energy prices in the short term, but the message that transfers or caps on, on, on taxes and therefore artificial limitations of retail prices of energy bring are not the same because limiting the, the energy price, again, while, while that makes sense in, in let's say, the, the emergency context of a price spike, does mute to a certain extent the, the message of scarcity that, that peaking prices of natural gas are, are conveying to consumers. Whereas transfers, I think, are in a way, a, a better way to protect consumers because they shield their, their income, they, they give them a way to, to face higher bills while still uh, showing them that, look, there is a spike in prices, so, this is also a time to think about uh, adapting energy consumption. This is also a time to think about uh, considering um, energy efficiency improvements in, in the household. Now, of course, as Haume said, consumers need to be put in the conditions to be able to afford those structural improvements in energy efficiency of their homes. So that is a, a different type of approach that requires uh, subsidization uh, to, to afford retrofits. But uh, I think it's important to distinguish between transfers and, and caps on, on taxes uh, to, to, to calm the effect of energy bills on consumers. Thanks, Elisabetta Cornago. And uh, Julio Castro, um, turning to you now, your views about the Commission's proposed uh, toolbox. Do you, be do you believe this, is, this was the right answer at that precise moment in time? Well, you are saying the, that, that uh, it was uh, the right answer. As a, as a forward to my answer, uh, and it was at the right time. Uh, we really think that uh, being a little bit late in answer would be uh, opening many different approaches from many different uh, member states. But being too early, maybe that was not having enough uh, thinking and being uh, too fast in, in having uh, extreme uh, answers. That was not the case. The case has been very balanced and the uh, proposals, uh, first having trust in the model of uh, decarbonization and in the renewables uh, investments uh, that, that are showing uh, when, when, when the resource is present, wind, uh, sun and, and, and water, that, that that is lowering the, the bills. So that's, that's correct and that's a strong support. And secondly, uh, showing the concern on, on, on these bills uh, to customers being uh, too high uh, for the specific moment and outlining measures on taxation and charges. Uh, there's a lot of uh, economic uh, policy implemented in the electricity bills. Uh, there's a lot of uh, written articles and books on this. 
and uh, maybe it's the moment to start uh, replacing that effort and uh, uh, not only the electricity bills fighting against uh, lowering emissions, also some other form of, uh, of, of energy like oil and natural gas and also why not the budgets of different member states to be considered. Uh, the social vouchers to be uh, uh, delivered to customers is a, is a good policy and uh, many of the member states are following those and uh, uh, the, the different designs that are implemented by different countries on the regulated tariffs for those to be protected well um, the, 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 the suggestion of uh, uh, hedging as much as much as possible on a term sales in order to avoid the price spikes uh, again, those are very good recommendations. In, as as um, Elizabeth was mentioning, uh, the, 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 the wrong would be uh, trying to tackle on, on, on the prices. The, the price, it's a warranty that you will get the supply. Once you have the correct marginal market, as every single market in the world, all of them are marginal, you are paying the correct price, you have the good, you have the delivery. Once you have that, uh, we need to, uh, to implement um, for the coming future more choices of supply. LNG, it's uh, something that it might be a good uh, financial solution for hedging, not only for supply, for that, you need the regasification terminals here and there. Maybe we should be thinking we have the, the, the correct ones in the correct places. Uh, hedging, as I'm saying, not only uh, to, to the bills, but also to the supplies of the different companies. Delaying bills <clears throat> and financing those delays. Uh, having a social approach to different uh, tranches of our customers. I mean, uh, everything looks to be... Uh, a, a, a solid block of recommendations. That's our view. Thanks, Julio Castro. And let me uh, stay with you for a follow-up question, and that is coming uh, from uh, the audience. Um, one of our viewers, uh, Mike Parr, um, who is a consultant on um, energy markets, he's asking uh, whether um, you believe the marginal pricing, which is currently um, driving wholesale electricity uh, prices, do you think this um, should be reformed in a way? Um, and do you believe regulators uh, can step in to, to reform this marginal pricing system? Do you think that would be desirable? Claudio Castro, um, I think you need to uh, unmute yourself. Um, sorry, I was just dispatching one uh, emergency call. Can you just uh, rephrase uh, the summarize on the on the? Yes, on it's the a, one one of our viewers is is asking about the marginal pricing system, which is currently yes. uh, in place on the wholesale electricity market. Do you believe this is something that needs to be reformed? And can the regulators actually do uh, something meaningful, yeah. uh, do you believe, in the, in, in the relatively short term? Well, I think that the, the marginal uh, methodology of setting prices is the only one that you can have for judgment. I mean, for the decision to uh, dispatch the most efficient ways of producing energy in every single hour. So trying to um, 
move from this uh, methodology into another one that may remind us about those monopolies uh, back in 30 years ago or 40 years ago that might have uh, political decisions on the unit commitment, in the end, it's uh, having a more expensive uh, generation fleet. But that's on the on the dispatching. That's on having the correct uh, units running every single hour. If you uh, are uh, thinking in the income that you get uh, on the sales to customers in order to have the revenues for the business to, 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 to run correctly, then you cannot think on an hourly basis. You cannot think on a daily basis. You need to think on a more term basis. So those two are different. I think that the marginalistic uh, market, it's unavoidable. And it's the only way of dispatching uh, LNG contracts, natural gas supplies, uh, sales of flats and apartments in Amsterdam or in Madrid. It's the only way of doing things. Then the risk appetite as a customer that you may have to enter into a term deal other than the spot uh, market or uh, the same appetite on the side of the supplier, it's something that you need to target with a methodology uh, related with financial um, uh, tools or with uh, the margin allocation that you may uh, proceed either on the side of the customer or on the side of the seller. So those two are different and I do not see an easy way of not spoiling the competitiveness of the generation fleet other than the marginalistic market today. Thanks, Julio Castro. Uh, let me turn to uh, Adela Tessarova now for a, a quick comment on what we just heard um, about uh, the reactions to the, the toolbox that the uh, Commission proposed a few weeks ago. Uh, we heard some general satisfaction um, about, about the proposal, but also some concerns that the Commission could have gone further on, on some aspects. Um, what is your reflection on this? Well, thank you very much, and 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 thank you for and and to uh, all all the colleagues here for, for their feedback, which I was actually uh, noting down a lot of a um, uh, lot of interesting and and useful remarks. And um, thanks for the generally very very positive feedback. Actually, um, well, if you if you let me, I would maybe make a bit different comment um, in relation to what we have heard, uh, because there is a lot of talk about um, wholesale energy prices. But here we are in an event about consumers. And in fact, um, consumers don't pay wholesale prices. Consumers pay retail prices, consumer prices. And um, you know, it's also an interesting reflection. And what we observe happening in the EU currently gives us a lot of lessons um, to be learned about how to structure the link between wholesale and retail prices. In principle, you have two types of retail prices. You have um, fixed or um, or dynamic prices. You know, you have prices which are fixed for one year or for a certain period of time, or and then you have prices which are variable. And you have different types of variable prices. You can have a night tariff and morning tariff, and you can have peak and off peak, and you can have hourly, and you can have a lot of, uh, uh, you know, there are different variations, of course. Um, and um, and of course, you have also differently mature markets. You have consumers who have access to comparison tools and they they switch suppliers often and they are used to do it. And that's the minority, of course. And then you have consumers who have never done it in their life. 
and they have been uh, shielded from the market because they had a regulated price or because they are vulnerable and um, and um, and maybe for the first time now they price their price uh, jumped up and and they are confronted with a completely new world and i think we have seen a particularly interesting uh, experiment happening in spain uh, where um, a regulated tariff is linked to dynamic price, which is a very unusual setup uh, for, for uh, reasons which are historic and uh, well thought. Um, and, you know, there was uh, the idea to protect consumers and uh, and uh, um, for, for many years, the spot prices were lower than forward prices. So uh, that's why Spanish authorities have come up with this, I would say, experiment. And um, and we see that this experiment has created some troubles in the current, uh, current con uh, context. Um, so I think there is a lot of learning going on uh, these days. Um, but I would like to, to stress this, this point really that, um, you know, the wholesale market and the consumer price is not the same thing. And um, there are different ways of setting consumer prices. And they in the first place, they have to be set by the market. That's the rule. It's the market setting consumer prices. We can have some exceptions such as vulnerable and energy poor where the prices can be exceptionally set uh, as a regulated price, but it's the minority of the market. The majority is market-based price setting and uh, options are unlimited, uh, starting from fixed prices to, to dynamic prices on the other end of the spectrum. And I think the more dynamic the price the consumer is exposed to or the consumer commits to, because always it has to be uh, the decision of the consumer to sign up to a dynamic price. So the more dynamic price consumer signs up to, the more mature the consumer needs to be. The, uh, I think it's uh, it's difficult to um, to expect that consumers who are, you know, not very familiar with the market functioning, uh, would be able to to realistically subscribe to dynamic prices, which are closely linked to the wholesale market. That's the so the more dynamic the price consumer has, the, the closer the link to the wholesale market. But the more the mature, the more knowledgeable the consumer needs to be. Otherwise, this doesn't work. I think that's one of the lessons they are learning in the current crisis. Thank you. Thanks, Adela Tessarova. Um, let me turn now to uh, another uh, subject, which is uh, the Fit for 55 package that the European Commission put uh, on the table uh, in July. So that was uh, just as uh, the, the energy price uh, shock, let's call it, was, was building up. Uh, during that time, but was not yet uh, at full speed. Uh, now we're seeing with this uh, toolbox that the Commission put forward uh, just a few weeks ago, uh, we see the EU executive really pushing in the long run what's in the 55, Fit for 55 package, so um, speeding up investments in renewables, energy efficiency, so that uh, we can build greater, greater resilience to external um, energy price shocks. So, uh, Julio Castro, uh, let me put this question to you. Uh, how do you believe those investments in energy efficiency, in renewables, uh, be speeded up? Do you believe some elements, for example, of uh, the Commission's Fit for 55 package should be fast-tracked? Well, the, 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 the first um, thought that comes to my mind is the way of not doing uh, this effort. And the way of not doing the effort, it's uh, introducing uh, turmoils, earthquakes, changes with not uh, the, 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 let's say, the, the, the necessary um, debate and, <clears throat> and, and, and agreement 
let's say let's say changing the, the 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 framework that we have on the regulatory environment in Europe all of a sudden because there's a first event that we should be tackling uh, with some other solutions on the on the electricity bill. So first of all, what we need is regulatory stability. That's a, that's a must, and uh, we used to have that, and uh, and it was working because we 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 have arrived to to year 2021 with an absolutely story of success <clears throat> of building and uh, uh, renewals and also of reducing emissions. So the 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 learn it's to follow doing what we have done in the in the past. Fast tracking is welcome. Um, uh, running too fast, uh, maybe that's that's not the correct way of doing things. I think the trilogue that we have in Europe is an example of the perfect democracy and the and the with the correct leadership that we are really having. Uh, the the fit for fifty five uh, fast tracked and with the. The, the, the current view and focus and, the, in, and implemented in the correct way is a really very, very promising story of uh, attracting investment into the, the decarbonization effort in Europe. So I think that um, what we have to do from companies is encouraging regulators to follow uh, exactly the same track that we were having before these um, turmoil in price spikes. And uh, why not uh, learn as well at the same time? There are a few issues on the on on the on the taxation. There are a few issues on charging, few issues on the on the on the billing and on the on the design of the regulated versus liberalized uh, markets that should be approached. So we, we we can even improve. And on the technology side, we we can also uh, think that we may need uh, a better implementation footprint. Uh, in order to uh, have a more storage, in order to have a more hedged supply of the backup, uh, namely on the, on the capacity mechanisms. So there are uh, the, the, the possibility of uh, following and keeping the, the historical success on implementing these policies, at the same time learning uh, to, to, to improve a little bit more and with the help of the of the funds that uh, hopefully will be announced and released uh, soon, uh, altogether look like to be uh, the promise of uh, of the investment. And we and many others are ready to secure the, the the investments and to drive them to become a reality as a technology to have the most clean and competitive supply in Europe. Thank you, Julio Castro. Uh, let me turn now to Nicolas Gonzalez Casares. Do you believe some elements of the Fit for 55 package should now be fast-tracked, uh, given the situation that we have regarding high energy prices? Do you sense appetite in the European Parliament uh, to, to, to put some bits of the package on, on, on the faster approval uh, than others? Uh, I think that first, uh, the fee for 55 to, packages um, is very good. Uh, Can you hear I cannot hear you. Yes, we, can, we can hear you now. Go ahead. Oh, perfect. Uh, for me, I think that the, the fee for 55 packages is very ambitious, of course. 
but I don't know if we need a, a faster track for some of the fires because we have a lot of fires here in the parliament. We are working with renewables, energy efficiency, taxation, the ETS, uh, sustainable fuels for aviation, maritime, you know, a lot of fires. And we also have to keep in mind that we need coherency and consistency. Okay, for example, when it comes to renewables, I think that we have to promote a massive deployment of renewables in the next 10 years to achieve the goals, that the targets that we have, for example, in the climate law to, the, to reduce our emissions at least 55%. But of course, we have to do that in a, in a safe way. I mean, consistency, coherency among all the files is very important because uh, uh, we need a, a fit for 55 with ambition, but also balanced because if it is not balanced, we can have problems in the next years. So I really like to go faster, for example, in, in renewables, but of course, keeping in mind these, these things that I, that I have mentioned, because I think it's one of the most problematic points that we have. But for example, in renewables, we should work to avoid the bottlenecks that we have Europe in some countries to, to, to implement these this new technologies, but of course also balance with the, with the public acceptance. So I think this is one of the challenges that we have in the renewable directive, for example. But of course, for example, uh, renewable directive, energy efficiency directive, and taxation, uh, I think that are um, files that we have to to go faster, but as I said before, maintaining the consistency and coherency of the whole package. I think this is the most important thing. Thank you, Nicolas Casares. Raul uh, Melofredo, uh, maybe a view from, from your side. Uh, do you believe some elements of the Fit for 55 package need to be fast-tracked? or maybe amended uh, to take account of uh, the, the situation that we have on, on energy markets? Well, I think that the priority more than the Fit for 55 is the implementation of the clean energy package, honestly. Uh, the measures on demand side flexibility uh, in uh, the electricity directive were not uh, yet implemented in many, in many member states. Uh, Mr. Gonzalez Casares was rightly making the point that uh, um, you know, as long as we need to rely on uh, gas power plants, we will have some uh, some times during the day in which we're going to to see uh, very uh, very high prices because we need to to cope with uh, uh, with an increasing demand. Give consumers the incentives to use energy flexibly, and they will do so. Uh, Adela was right in saying that uh, uh, the more dynamic the price consumers uh, are exposed, the the, uh, the more knowledgeable the consumer uh, the consumer should be. Um, but uh, um, well, the, the thing is that uh, appliances or products that are facilitating flexible consumption and uh, that allow consumers to benefit from uh, from variable prices and to engage in demand response are entering consumers' homes. 
uh, electric vehicles uh, in uh, sales in the Netherlands were 20% uh, of total sales uh, this year. And so consumers with electric vehicles can engage in uh, demand-side flexibility uh, through uh, smart charging or through V2G. And these can help uh, consumers um, basically reducing their, reducing their energy bills. Um, I think the priority, uh, of course, I mean, should be um, on one side to, to have an ambitious Fit for 55 package to really empower consumers, um, shifting to, uh, to energy efficiency, shifting to renewables by giving them access, for example, to, uh, to installers, to, to one-stop shops, and by giving them uh, access to financial incentives. But we should not really lose sight of the clean energy package. It's not that uh, since it was adopted a couple of years ago, it's uh, uh, you know it's something that's old and that uh, it's uh, uh, that we can uh, sort of forget about it. I think that it's a cornerstone of the of the energy transition, and it's what is going to uh, to shield consumers against the volatility in gas prices. Thanks, Jaume. Uh, let me turn to Elisabetta Cornago. Uh, your views on the Fit for Fifty Five package? Do you believe some elements of it? should be modified or, or, or their adoption <clears throat> speeded up in the context of the uh, current high energy prices? So I think in general it, it would be good to, to, to speed up the entire really uh, decision-making process on Fit for 55. What I'm worried about is perhaps that some parts of the package be put on the back burner in the context of spiking energy prices. And particularly I think uh, the, the process around the energy taxation directive revision which was already you know, politically delicate ahead of the price spike is, is perhaps uh, um, even more so right now. But I, I think it's important that um, the, the energy tax rates between uh, gas and electricity are rebalanced in order to make way to, to facilitate uh, and to incentivize really electrification. Because as long as is the case, as in, in many, if not most uh, member countries, electricity is taxed to a greater extent uh, than natural gas and uh, energy tax rates do not reflect the carbon content of different fuels, then I think that sends a very mixed and confusing message to consumers and does not incentivize them to, let's say, replace their gas boiler with a heat pump. So I think really the, the revision of uh, energy taxes uh, in order to support electrification is, is important. And I think it also opens the question of whether um, there should be a, a redesign uh, possibly of, of retail prices. As Adela said, consumers do not pay wholesale prices, they pay retail prices, and a large chunk of retail prices is precisely made up of taxes, be they energy taxes or, or VATs or, or other fees that are there to cover for structural costs, such as the coverage of subsidies for renewables. So is there a way, uh, is there a case to be made, and I think there is, to shift, for instance, the, the the burden of the cost of subsidies for renewables, which are behind the success story of, of, of the, the increase in the share of renewables in the EU uh, energy mix, shift those uh, across uh, across uh, fuels, so including on natural gas, to general taxation. I think there needs to be a discussion around that, as long as the burden of uh, additional costs on top of the wholesale price on, on electricity retail costs is, is higher, consumers are, are going to be disincentivized to really take a leap towards electrification. Thanks, uh, Elisabetta. Uh, let me turn to Adela Tesarova uh, now uh, for um, a quick reflection uh, on, on what we just heard. Uh, do you believe some elements of the Fit for 55 package should be uh, speeded up or maybe amended uh, in the current context of high energy prices? We're, we're starting the, um, uh, 
the negotiation process. So maybe now is the, is the right time to make some adjustments. What, what is your thoughts on this? Um, well, thank you. Thank you for, for these questions. Well, given that the package is now in the hands of the of the of the co-legislators, um, I think uh, uh, Mr. Nicolas Caceres uh, covered uh, quite. Uh, I mean, he covered extensively this answer, and I, um, yeah, I mean, he he stressed the need to keep the package together in, because it's this is the biggest uh, legislative package ever uh, in the area of of energy and climate. Um, uh, it is an enormous strain on co-legislators. I think they have some very ambitious presidencies ahead of us, um, especially, you know, next year uh, we have French presidency, the year after we have the Swedish presidency. I'm sure uh, the Swedish presidency will want to uh, conclude on everything. So I think um, that would be a very, very quick uh, dealing with the package. Um, so that's one comment from my side. Second comment. Um, I agree that we need to implement what we have in place. That's absolutely necessary. There are huge gaps. Um, we have a good opportunity with this uh, big MFF, very green MFF. I have, of course, listened to Elisabetta, what she said. But at the same time, this is the biggest green MFF we have ever had. We have the biggest financing available for green investment, thanks to the recovery fund. And, um, um, you know, we can... Uh, Always, more is always possible, but I think uh, there is enormous financing going in the direction of energy efficiency, especially in the recovery funds. And um, this is an opportunity not to be wasted. Uh, third comment, um, we need active consumers. That means we need to implement the existing legislation. But I think we also, um, it also, the consumers need to want to become active, you know. Um, and I think the current um, energy price environment is waking up people, people who, uh, you know, we, if I simplify, we have a 10% of the population which cannot pay their energy bills. And then we have 90% of the population which very easily can pay the energy bills and they never think about it. And these people are now waking up. And this is good because unless consumers want to become active, no legislation in the world is gonna make them active. We need to remove barriers. I fully agree. But one of the barriers is the fact that people are not interested. And this is a non-negligible barrier. Um, when it comes to retail prices, last comment, um, member states have the right to impose taxation. And no, no European Union can take this right away from them. What we have in the EU is harmonized rules for these taxes. One of them is the energy taxation directive. The other one is the VAT directive. So the commission has put forward a review of the energy taxation directive to precisely um, put some order in the way uh, taxes on energy are levied. And the question of electricity versus gas is one of, um, one of those that are being looked at. But um, this is a member state's right to impose taxes on energy, and this right is not going to go away. So what we can do at EU level is to look at the consistency, and this is precisely what the revision of the Energy Taxation Directive is doing. Thank you. Thanks, Adela Tassarova. Uh, and indeed, uh, the, uh, uh, the, the attitude of consumers towards uh, energy pricing is, is something which is quite cultural and not something that's going to change overnight, uh, I'm afraid. Um, Julio Castro, uh, a question uh, to you now uh, again. 
some have warned that fossil fuel prices are likely to remain quite volatile um, in the long run precisely because of the energy uh, transition. Do you share this analysis and how do you believe policymakers can prepare for this? Mm. That, that's a good one, Frederick. In, <clears throat> well, to the extent that uh, from a technological point of view, the storage is not uh, fixed in the coming years, which is something that at least for a planning on, on, on a five-year business plan, if that is the case. It is right to say that the backup uh, with the lesser uh, emissions will come from natural gas. Natural gas will come either from a pipeline or a LNG, and it's available. So the good answer is that um, we will have the lights on and uh, by having more renewable energy, that is the most competitive one in terms of uh, LCOE of costs uh, these days, the bills will be lowering, but we need the backup. So we need to uh, focus on the backup price and the way of uh, implementing this backup. There's a lot of uh, written thinking on the capacity mechanisms. There's many, many uh, methods. Uh, there's uh, different exposures, uh, different countries looking at different uh, ways of doing things. But uh, what we have to do is at the same time that we are relying on renewables, we need to have uh, an answer. We need to have a method and we cannot only rely on the marginalistic uh, market so that the income of this backup is opportunistic somehow, depending on the uh, moments in the future where these price spikes are present. Why? Because apparently it looks like uh, nobody believes in those prices being fair. At least that is what happens uh, in the media and in some of the institutions in Spain where uh, you are having a price that is uh, clearly, in terms of the figure that you're using, high, let's say 200 euros per megawatt hour, clearly high price. Well, that is unacceptable. Given that it's unacceptable, uh, you're greedy and something has to be done. When the price is in the surroundings of uh, 50, nobody says uh, anything about Well, uh, clearly we uh, have uh, different uh, tools, either technological or financial, to have a more smoothened uh, cost curve of the of the backup by having more reserves of the of the fossil fuel that, that you may be using that can be done either on a physical way in storages or tanks or LNG or from financial contracts or financial hedges which is a way of storing uh, or uh, you can have a, a mechanism that puts the costs on a term approach so that are applied to the different uh, bills in a different way, not charging daily and hourly that backup cost expectation that the investor on that technology wants to be remunerated. So uh, I do see that uh, there will be volatility, but I do not see and I do not agree that the current situation that is very specific is the one that we, we are seeing uh, twice a year in the coming 25 years. No, and it cannot be. Companies and customers can either physically or financially hedge positions 
and uh, and guaranteeing and um, having a more average cost of the backup in, in, in the future so that the outcome in terms of the bill is absolutely acceptable. So um, a lot to be done, a lot to be learned, but uh, not exactly for the current situation where this spot market is uh, somehow frightening uh, all of us. And there's tools of doing this. From my career and from my experience uh, in, the, in the LNG and natural gas uh, life, which is the one that is driving the high cost of backup, there's a lot of uh, tools, contracts, term contracts, long-term contracts, uh, financial storage, virtual, virtual finance uh, for the storage, uh, taking care uh, hubs and the and different uh, hedging options. And of course, the, the physical storage is always helping, but of course it has to be remunerated and you have to compare either if that's it's uh, efficient or if you need more flexibility on supply. Sorry by, by my long answer, but I think that uh, this question and this answer, maybe it's the key for the coming five years of survival of the current market. Thanks, Jorge Castro. Uh, let me put the question to you now, Nicolas González-Casares. Uh, do you believe Europe should be prepared for more volatility on energy markets going forward? precisely because of uh, the green transition? And how do you believe policymakers uh, can uh, provide answers to this? First, I want to say that we cannot make the green transition guilty. I think the problem is that we are delayed in the green transition, because if we have more renewables by now, uh, we will have have, will have uh, less problems with the with these prices, but yes, probably we can see volatility, as as for example, Acer has mentioned and other other actors mentioned that uh, we can expect an, uh, volatility in the fossil fuels market and the energy market in the next months. But I don't I don't want to I don't want to see the same problem year after year until 2030, because this is, is going to be a mess for citizens. I think that we need to protect consumers and also companies that we have in Europe. And of course, we need uh, uh, affordable prices for all of them, because yes, we can pay bills for vulnerable consumers, but at the end of the day, we also need to be competitive in the in the global marketing with our companies and our productions so we need to uh, have a good balance of in energy prices i think it's, it's crucial for for the next years of course we need to deploy more renewables we need this backup that uh, jose castro mentioned before and we need also to be more efficient but of course, we have to we have to think about the, we are going to need huge amounts of electricity and green electricity. So we have to put our investments in the place that we need. For example, I I don't want I want to mention that because I I don't like the the proposal of uh, when it comes to the taxonomy to uh, to see 
natural gas as, as a green investment. I think this is not sustainable and it's going to make a, a, a lock-in in investments, putting money on, on gas infrastructures and uh, take out the money from, from renewables. I think, okay, we can make uh, investments in natural gas, but they are not greener anymore. So I think this is one point. But of course, in the next year, we need affordable prices. And we, as consumers, uh, also need to, to see how renewable energy decrease the bill of consumers. Because it's going to be the best answer for consumers to get engaged in this uh, green transition. Thanks, Nicolas Casares. Um, um, we're getting closer to the end of uh, this online event, uh, but before we close, I would like uh, each one of you to reflect and maybe summarize in just a couple of sentences what you would want um, our audience to take away with them as the main message. Um, and so let me turn, uh, therefore, back to Adela Tesarova for this. Well, thank you. Um, well, I really hope that um, the current uh, high price crisis or um, will bring something positive. And I hope the positive thing that it will bring is that it will wake up consumers. I said it earlier, but I will repeat it because I think it's important. Energy consumers have been very passive. Uh, people, you know, people are experts on uh, tariffs for mobile phones and experts in technology of mobile phones. And people don't understand anything about energy. And energy is much easier, simpler than mobile phones. And I think it's time for us to become experts in energy and for us to, as all, I mean, all of us ordinary people, to be able to choose the right tariff, to be able to change tariff, to be able to produce energy ourselves, because yeah, the cheapest renewable energy is the one we produce with our house. And if it's a building block, uh, it's even easier because uh, there is a lot of space for solar panels on top. So, you know, um, I think it's it's really, uh, I hope that the positive thing that this crisis will bring is it will wake up all of us consumers to become actors of our own life and uh, to actively decide our own destiny when it comes to energy. Thank you. Thanks, Adela Tesarova, for this positive message. Uh, let me go back to Nicolas González Casares uh, for your own uh, closing statement. I, I want to say that uh, citizens must know that we are uh, concerned about these prices, but the cost of not doing the transition, the grid transition, is higher of going for this way. I guess the, the prices get normal in the in coming months but of course we had to keep in mind that uh, to protect ourselves to protect our transition and fight against climate change we need to speed up this ecological transition thanks nicolas casares uh, let me turn now to jaume lofredo what is your own uh, main message from today's event well I, I hope that, uh, um, well, the Fit for 55 and the implementation of uh, uh, the Clean Energy Package, which uh, 
but should happen as soon as possible, uh, really empowers consumers to uh, to be active and to, to improve the energy efficiency of homes, so to uh, switch to heat pumps, to uh, install rooftop solar panels, and to be active through uh, demand-side flexibility. And uh, at the same time, I can say that uh, uh, ourselves as consumers groups, we are uh, committed to, uh, to help consumers become active in the energy sector uh, by providing them advice. And uh, well, we hope that uh, our collaboration with, with the Commission uh, on these, which uh, so far has been quite fruitful, can continue and that we can continue cooperating in the future. Thanks, Jaume. Um, Elisabetta Cornago, what is your own uh, main message for our audience today? I hope that uh, from, from these spiking energy prices, we will see uh, a boost of, of renewable energy investment, but also energy efficiency investment, because ultimately, I think that the best way to, to protect consumers is to enable them to cut uh, their, their energy consumption and therefore their energy bills. I also think that uh, and, and hope that it will prompt a reflection in terms of the design of, of retail energy prices, particularly using the level of uh, energy taxation, because I think it's we cannot expect consumers to, to be smart about their energy consumption unless the price signals are right. And as long as um, the electrification of their heating system, for instance, remains financially uh, discouraged uh, through, through, through lower uh, costs of, of, of natural gas heating, I think that is going to be a bit of a difficult um, decision to, to ask of consumers. Thanks, Elisabetta. And uh, Julio Castro, now you have the privilege of closing today's event. What is your own main message for our viewers? Let's take advantage from, in, well, crisis make you stronger. That's uh, common in life. <clears throat> so uh, the European Union should be focusing less carbon emissions, more renewables and storage are needed. In order to do that, uh, we need less taxes and charges on the bills and we need more regulatory stability. Instead of talking about uh, fit for 55, we like to say that we are ready for 55. Iberdrola is ready to invest. Thanks, Julio Castro. I think that wraps up uh, today's event. A big thanks to Eberdroller for supporting it. A big thanks to our panelists for the time uh, you took uh, to be with us today. And uh, to our viewers, of course, for following us. Uh, if you've missed the beginning of uh, this event, you can uh, watch it again on YouTube and other social media. And if you're interested to learn more about upcoming events uh, on Your Active, please visit our website, events.youractive.com, for more. We hope to see you again soon. In the meantime, take care and stay safe.